At first, it was just one sheep per day. But as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more. Until, until one day a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Y'all, good morning, and please be seated. Good morning. Pop quiz. Pop quiz for you this morning. Does anyone remember the psalm from last Sunday? Anyone remember the psalm from last Sunday? It was Psalm 23, Psalm 23, this psalm about the good shepherd. But do you remember how Psalm 23 ends? It ends by referencing, by talking about the house of the Lord. I will dwell, it says at the very end of Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. See, last Sunday was Good Shepherd Sunday, but this Sunday is House Sunday. Happy House Sunday. Would you believe that every single one of the lessons and the psalm today speak to us of a house All of the lessons from Holy Scripture this morning talk to us and invoke the imagery of a house. So, for example, in the psalm today, Psalm 31, in verse 3, we read, Be my strong rock, a castle to keep me safe. A castle to keep me safe, he writes, the psalmist does, reminding us, reminding me at least, of that 16th century mystic, St. Teresa of Avila, and her interior castle. That's the title of her most famous work, The Interior Castle. In it, she poetically and mystically describes her own soul as a castle, as the dwelling place of God himself, the interior castle. What is a castle if not a glorious, beautiful, spacious house? The psalmist this morning speaks of a castle. But this castle is, at the same time, a certain kind of house. Okay, that's the psalm. Secondly, think with me about the gospel this morning. It, too, speaks of a house. In my Father's house, Jesus says, there are many rooms. And if you're my age or older, then you might remember the King James Version of this because the King James Version does not say many rooms. It says, in my house are many rooms. Many mansions, that's right, many mansions. And, and I don't know about you, but that word mansion reminds me once again of a castle. And so we're back to St. Teresa and her interior castle. But do you see? Here again in John 14 as well, we are reminded of a house. 
And that brings us thirdly to this morning's epistle. Consider the epistle today from 1 Peter. It is suffused with and saturated by the imagery of a house. Come to Jesus, Peter tells us, come to Jesus, a living stone. A living stone? Why is Peter talking about stones? Ah, because stones are used to build a house. But not any old house. The house that Peter is talking about is the house of the Lord. Now, when I think about the Old Testament I, and I think about the stones that were used to construct the temple of the Old Testament, I think of 1 Kings 6, 7, which says this, the house was built with stones finished at the quarry. See, this is talking about stones. The house that was built with stones that were finished at the quarry so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the temple while it was being built. It's very interesting that in that verse, the temple of God is just referred to as the house, right? The house. And while it would be super interesting to ask the question, well, why were those stones not cut with tools? Why were those stones completely untouched by hammers and axes and anything like that? That would be super interesting. Uh, suffice this morning to say that there's a whole theology of stone, a whole theology of rocks, a, a whole theology of stones all throughout the Old Testament. By the way, I heard recently that a few years ago at St. George's, there was bring a rock to church Sunday. How cool is that? There is a whole theology of stones running through the scriptures. I'm reminded of the story of Jacob at Bethel. Bethel, that means house. There it is again, house of God, in which Jacob anoints the rock with holy oil. And later, St. Paul comments on that passage in the Old Testament and simply says, that rock was Christ, 1 Corinthians 10.4. Again, we lack the time to delve into that, into that passage, but the point, once again, is clear. There is a theology of rocks and stones running all throughout the scriptures. So this morning when Peter says that Christ is a stone, the chief cornerstone, he's tapping into that. He's drawing into that rich theology of stone and he's focusing our attention on the whole purpose of stones. To build a house. To build a house. A house of worship. A house of praise. A house this morning in a culture of violence and destruction. A house of peace and reconciliation. A house formed by a kind of stone that is very strange indeed. Because these stones that Peter's talking to us this morning, these stones are living stones. They are alive with Zoe life. They are pulsing with the life of God. In other words, what is this house? You are. We are. Let yourselves be formed and built up, Peter tells us this morning, into a house of living 
stones. So you see, house. Peter also, just like the psalmist, just like John the gospel writer, Peter also speaks to us of a house. Happy house Sunday, right? So we've talked about the psalm, how it speaks to us of a house. We've talked about the gospel of John, how it speaks to us of a house. We have talked thirdly about the lesson from 1 Peter, how it speaks to us of a house. That leaves just one more, does it not? This lesson from Acts, this story about St. Stephen and his martyrdom slash death. Question, is there a house in that story? Ah, really good question. Glad you asked. But before we answer it, I want to ask an even more basic question. And that question is this, what even is a house? What even is a house? Now, you might be thinking, Father Matt, that's such a weird question. I mean, I, of course I know what a house is. Maybe you're thinking of something like a building. What do you think of when you imagine a house? Maybe you're imagining something like a building, a structure. Maybe it has one story. Maybe it has two stories. It might have a front door and windows facing the front yard. Perhaps there are shutters around those windows. Maybe there's a walkway leading up to the front door. Maybe there's a fence surrounded by a yard. That's sort of like what I think about when I think about a house. But, dear friends, there's a problem with that picture. The problem is this. That picture is static. It's lifeless. Now, buildings are cool and interesting and often beautiful. Yeah, that's true. But when the Bible speaks of a house, it has much more in mind than just a lifeless building. There's two other things that the Bible always is thinking about when it talks about a house, two other dimensions of a house that are biblical. Number one, economy. And number two, family. Economy, family. Now, I wish we had time this morning to talk about house as economy. I wish we had time to talk about the Greek word oikos, like the Greek yogurt, it's so yummy, and how it's rooted in the Greek word oikonomia, which is where we get our English word economy. I wish we had time, but alas, we don't. Maybe coffee hour, maybe over a beer. Instead, I wanna focus this morning on the second meaning, biblically, of the word house. In the Bible, house means not just an economy, but it means family. Biblically, a house is a family. For example, the house of David. The house of David. Like, like when 1 Samuel 20, 16 says, quote, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. What is the house of David? It's a family, right? This sense of house is not unrelated to the coronation of King Charles that happened yesterday at Westminster Abbey. Charles, after all, is a member of the House of Windsor. And if there's any Game of Thrones folk fans in the room, and I know there's at least one, I, I happen to be married to her. If there's any Game of Thrones fans in the room, you, you might remember the House of Targaryen, the House of Lannister, the House of Stark, the House of Tyrell. 
See, what is a house? At the deepest level, it's not a construction of inert blocks or stones or bricks. No, it is a house of living stones. It's a house of people. It's a family of love. So finally, we're now ready to answer the question I asked a moment ago. In this story from Acts, this story about Stephen and his martyrdom, do we see a house? We saw a house in the psalm. We saw a house in the gospel. We saw a house in the epistle lesson. But what about here in Acts? Here in Acts, do we see a house? Yes. Yes, we do. And even though we do learn in this passage from Acts, yes, even though we do learn about a new economy, that is true. And there's a lot we could say about that that economy that's hinted to us in the book in in Acts chapter 7. We could talk about the word glory. We could talk about how Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. That's all about economy. We could talk about that. But alas, what I want to do with you is focus on family, family in the book of Acts, chapter 7, house as family. Do we see a house in Acts chapter 7? Yes, we do. Where do we see this new house? We see it in this young man who is named by name, this young man who's mentioned by name in verse 58, a young man, it says, named Saul, Saul, who is this Saul? Who is this young man who was aiding and abetting in the murder of this Jesus follower, Stephen, as he looked after the coats and the possessions of those who were literally throwing the stones? Who is this Saul? Well, we know who he was because he tells us. He tells us in several places, not least, Acts 22, about 15 chapters later in that Eastern narrative called the book of Acts. Acts chapter 22, about 15 chapters after the story we read today. Paul says in Acts chapter 22, I was a Jew. I'm a Jew, he says, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up at the feet of the rabbi Gamaliel, educated strictly according to ancestral law, Acts 22. See, Paul was a pious and devout religious Jew. He may have been dedicated to the law of Moses, yes, but guess what? He hated Jesus. He hated Jesus, and he hated Jesus' followers, which is why he aids and abets in the murder of Stephen. But friends, that is not the end of Saul's story. It's just the beginning. He continues his testimony, Paul does, Saul does, in Acts chapter 22. And actually at this point in the narrative of the book of Acts, his name has been changed from Saul to Paul. He continues his narrative, quote, while I was on my way to Damascus, he continues, suddenly a light shone from heaven all around me and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, pause, pause. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Persecuting whom? Who is this me being referred to by this voice? It's Jesus, right? 
Jesus is asking Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, that's right. But question, had Saul actually ever seen Jesus? No. Jesus had vanished 22 chapters earlier in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus ascended into heaven and went away. See, Saul had never seen Jesus. How could he have been persecuting someone that he never saw, someone he never encountered? Answer, he was persecuting Jesus' body. He was persecuting Jesus' people. You see, he was persecuting Jesus' house. There it is again, house. Not the house of Windsor. Not the house of Lannister. This is the house of Jesus Christ. See, this house is not a building. This house is a family. It's a family. It's a house slash family created by the love of Christ, the love that Christ demonstrated and made real on the cross. It's the house slash family of Christ created by his blood. And into this house slash family, guess what? This young man, Saul, keeping the coats and the possessions of those murderers in Acts chapter 7, into this house, Saul is brought in, grafted in, included all the way into this new house. Just think of it, the aider and abettor of Stephen's murder would later become Stephen's brother. His brother in the house slash family of Jesus. Are you beginning to see where we see house in Acts chapter seven? It's a new family. Friends, that is what this house slash family is like. Former enemies, now friends. Former competitors, now siblings. This is a house of reconciliation and forgiveness made real by the reconciliation and forgiveness of the cross. This is the house slash family that the world desperately needs. This is the house slash family that is the world's only hope. So, dear friends, to close with Peter's words from today's epistle, let yourselves as living stones be built up into a spiritual family. Let yourselves be built up into a spiritual house. Happy House Sunday. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.